about in this series. We're talking about how to make a cannonball on the stage of life, how to make a big splash in the world around you. Uh, last week we talked a little bit about how to do that through cultural relevance. You cannot impact a culture that you can't connect with. And we talked a lot about that. Uh, today's an important connection with, with, uh, with this greater idea of making a big splash. It's not just about relevance. There are some other deeper things that, that we're called to be as well. Um, before we get into that, jumping the gun up here. What's going on up here? Giving away answers? Uh, we'll get that set. Um, before, we, uh, before we dive into that, um, I, I want to ha- ask a question. How many of you... And maybe, maybe addicted is a little bit too strong of a word, but how many of you find yourselves a little bit obsessed with all of the quizzes that are out there on social media? You know the quizzes like, which member of the Brady Bunch family would you be? Or, you know, can you pass the U.S. citizenship test? Or, you know, all those quizzes that are out there, come on, you see them on Facebook, and you see them, and you, like, click, and, right? Anyone else? All right, all right guys, just, hold on. This is a safe place. You can be honest about your struggles here, okay, even if your struggles are taking too many quizzes. Well, it's a struggle of mine, but here's one that maybe you have not ever seen before, even if you're one who takes many of those quizzes. Bluefield College, which is a college in uh, Virginia near the West Virginia border, they put out a quiz on social media that they call the hardest, bu- the hardest Bible quiz you'll ever take. And I, and I saw that headline and I thought, oh yeah? Let's see, all right? So I've been to seminary. I've taken some hard Bible quizzes. And uh, this one was pretty tough. It wasn't exactly the hardest Bible quiz I've ever taken, but definitely not easy. And uh, I, I wanted to bring that to you today, whether you love quizzes or not. Uh, now, some of you have test anxiety. I just want you to remember there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Um, for some of you, this is a great opportunity for you to show off what a smart student you are. Um, so I got only 10 questions from the quiz. It was longer than this, 10 questions. If you're paying attention earlier, you already got one of the answers. But let's take a look at the questions here. And I just kind of track along. So I'll show you the questions. You mark it in your mind. You keep your own score. You know, if you get one right, just start counting on your, you don't need more than this unless you're cheating. If you get more than this, you've cheated. Okay. Uh, So what was the name of Moses' wife? You know Moses. His wife is actually named in scripture. What is her name? Is it Shifra, Jochebed, Miriam, or Zipporah? Okay, hold on. I didn't give this instruction. Don't say it out loud. Keep it to yourself, because it's a quiz. Everyone's testing themselves. So I appreciate your zeal. You know, say amen later or something when I make a really good point, but keep the answers to yourself. Yeah, Zipporah is the answer. D. All right, next question, now that we got that out of the way. Uh, who is the first hunter mentioned in the Bible? Was it Lamech, Isaac, Nimrod, or Esau? First hunter mentioned in the Bible. Lock it in in your mind. Take a look real quick. And now let's see. Nimrod. Some of you thought it was Esau. Now, here's, here's, what's, here's what I find interesting. We're in this great culture here in West County, St. Louis, where people love to hunt. And I've not yet baptized a Nimrod yet. <laughs> Dads, you're missing an opportunity. You're the first hunter mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Name your son Nimrod and he'll come hunting you later in life, right? Um, God told which prophet to shave his head and beard. Was it Elijah, Zechariah, Micah, or Ezekiel? All of these guys are prophets. Which one did God tell to shave his beard and his head? The answer is Ezekiel. I saw that one earlier. Okay. Um, where did Job live? Job, the guy who, uh, there's a book of the Bible named after him. Did he live in Ophir, the land of Nod, Judah, or the land of Uz? Not to be confused with the land of Oz. And actually the answer is the land of Uz. That's where Job lived. Anyone sweating? You're like, you're like I did not come to church for this today. It's all right. We're almost done. What was the, what was the lion's den sealed with when Daniel was thrown in, thrown in. Uh, you know, Daniel in the lines, and he was thrown in there. Was it the king's signet, metal bars, a great stone slab, or dried mud? The answer, 
the king Signet. All right, let's keep going. What was the eighth plague of Egypt? This is hard, right? The eighth, you're like, come on, I, I might know if there was a plague. Um, but uh, what was the eighth? Uh, was it locusts, flies, frogs, or hail? I'll just, can I confess something? I, I didn't get this right. I did not get this one right when I took it. I, I wasn't sure. But the answer is locusts. Do you guys remember when the cicadas, I mean, they're out right now. But do you remember we had the cicada outbreak here a couple of years ago? It was like a plague. I, I thought, no wonder those Egyptians pushed the Israelites out of their land. That was nasty. Um, how many times did Delilah and the Philistines bind Samson? So you know the story of Samson, maybe guy with long hair. Uh, th- there, there were a number of uh, times that the Philistines and uh, Delilah came and they bound him and uh, tried to make him get free to see if they could discover the, uh, the source of his strength. Was it three, one, two, or four? Answer is four. Dang, I think people are like, you guys take this seriously. All right, we're getting close. In what city was Lazarus raised from the dead? Jesus raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead. Was it in Nazareth, Bethany, Bethlehem, or Jericho? The answer is Bethany. That's close. Um, and then I think final question maybe? Oh no, two more. How much more, uh, for how much rather did Joseph, this is Old Testament Joseph, how much did Joseph's brother sell him into slavery? 20 pieces of gold, 12 pieces of gold, 20 pieces of silver, 40 pieces of silver. The answer is 20 pieces of silver. And then I think our last one, this is your last chance to redeem yourself. Where did God, where did the Lord God plant a garden in Eden? You have to know your directions here. Was it in the east, the south, the west, or the north? And the answer is in the east. So really quickly, you know, how did you do? Some of you are never coming back to church. You're like, dang it. Um, some of you did really well, and we can all tell because you're sitting up very tall in your seat. You're looking over at the person next to you, nodding. Um, you know, here, here's the problem. Here's the problem with quizzes like this. I find that they only do one of two things for people. They either make you frustrated and confused or puffed up and arrogant. I, I don't think there's any other way to get around it. Either you read through these questions and you think, gosh, I thought I knew something about the Bible, but I didn't get many of those answers right. Or, or maybe you're thinking... I don't know much about the Bible, and I couldn't even pronounce those names if I tried. And that makes you feel frustrated and confused. Or maybe you did really well, and and you are sitting up in your seat, and you're puffed up and and arrogant. I find that we go one of two ways here. And I find out, in fact, that's what happens to most of us when we set out to study the Scriptures. For most people, if if they decide, hey, I want to go deeper in the Bible, I want to know more about the Bible— Often one of these two things happens. People become frustrated and confused. You know, some of you, are, you, are, you have graduate degrees. You can understand technical manuals. You can read in other languages. And yet when you read the Bible, you're like, what? I don't understand. You feel frustrated and confused. Like maybe there's something wrong with you. Um, or maybe there's something wrong with the Bible. Or for some of you, um, you'll find that, that you'll get puffed up and arrogant. The more you learn, you start to feel like I'm better than other people. And I know more. And, and it makes you kind of cocky. And... And as I was working on this message this week, and, and the message is about the power of being biblically sound, there was this nagging question that kept coming into my mind, and the question was, do people even care about this, being biblically sound? I mean, if you don't know your Bible, so what? Right? Because who wants to be frustrated and confused? Who wants to be puffed up and arrogant? And if those are the two outcomes, then, then, then why would anyone want to become biblically sound? I mean, I mean, if you're not biblically sound, maybe that just means that you're actually a nice person. And you're not condescending and judgmental and naive. And maybe you can actually have a conversation with people about real things that are happening in the world. And that doesn't include Kirk Cameron movies or whatever he's doing these days, right? I mean, I mean maybe for you, you're sitting and going, 
See, I, I, don't even, I don't even care about this, really. If I would have known they were talking about this today, I wouldn't even have come. See, I, I agree with you, and I, I, I connect with that feeling. And even for me, as I've wrestled with this message, I think, gosh, I, I don't want this to come across as just some, some fundamentalist, you know, like Bible thumping, because I think it's more important than that. I think, I think it's more nuanced than that. I think it's more significant than that. I think it's more impactful than that. And if you're sitting here today thinking, I don't even know if I care about this, let me just reassure you that there is a third option. By going deeper into the scripture, you don't have to be frustrated and confused. You don't have to be puffed up and arrogant. If you do this well, by going deeper into scripture, you can become wise and gracious. You can become wise and gracious. And I think that's something that deep down we all want to be. So that's why we're going to talk about the power of being biblically sound anyway, and uh, I, I pray that God blesses this. Now to do this, uh, we're going to go back and talk about a guy by the name of Josiah. He was a king over Israel. His name is Josiah. And we're going to talk about him in just a minute. Um, we're going to look in 2 Kings chapter 22. And Josiah is a guy himself who discovered the power of becoming biblically sound, but he didn't start off as a guy who was very biblically sound. So uh, we're going to dive in, and just so that you don't get frustrated and confused, let me highlight for you before we go in three main characters in this narrative. You're going to see a lot of names today, but I want you just to stay focused on these three guys, okay? So Josiah is the king, then there's this guy Shaphan, he's the king's secretary, and then you have Hilkiah, Who's the high priest? He's the one in charge of, of the temple and worship. So Josiah, Shaphan, the king's secretary, and Hilkiah is the high priest. Those are the three names I want you to stay focused on. So we're going to dive in. 2 Kings chapter 22. You can look in your Bible or you can take out your phone or your uh, device and you can go to uversion.com. Go to STGSTL. It'll bring it up like magic for you. 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And some of you are feeling very unaccomplished right now in life. Um, but this actually is, is a commentary on the times that Josiah was living in. It was a time of incredible political and religious instability. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Which is why at eight years old he finds himself being the king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He didn't even live all that long. His mother's name, his father was the king before him. We know that. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. You know Bozkath. It's just down the road from... Labadee, you know, you go Labadee, it's by the power plant. Um, you don't know what people did in the day. Now, Josiah was different because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, and not literally his father, but his ancestor, King David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So, so Josiah is living in this time where, where there's a, a whole string of really bad kings who don't go in the ways of the Lord. They don't do what's right, but Josiah, for some reason, he's different. He has a heart to do what's right. In the 18th year of his reign, so he was how old when he came to the throne? Eight. So 18th year, that means he's how old? Yeah, this is not common core. It's easy. It's just 18 plus 8. 26. That's the right answer. 26. Um, in the 18th year of his reign, at about age 26, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. And this is what he wanted him to do. He says, secretary, I want you to go and make uh, an announcement. Go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought to the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. So I want you to prepare these offerings. Gather those together. And then take those offerings and entrust those offerings to, to these men that have been appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men then go pay the workers who are going to repair the temple of the Lord. I'll talk about why the temple needs to be repaired in a minute. 
The carpenters, the builders, the masons also have them purchase all the things we need, the timber, the dressed stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. So, um, so Josiah gives us instruction to Shaphan, just track along. He says, hey, I want you to take this money that's been collected. We've been collecting offerings. The funds are, are up full enough now. They're enough high enough. We've, we've met our goal. I want you to disperse those funds, give them to workers, because they're going to repair the temple. Well, what happened to the temple? Well, what happened to the temple, namely, was Josiah's grandfather, a king named Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was a really, really, really bad king. He did not do what was right in the sight of God. In fact, he allowed the temple to be desecrated. He brought in altars to foreign gods, let them be set up in the temple. The temple became a mess. The whole nation became a mess because of Manasseh. And then Manasseh's son, Josiah's father, he wasn't much better. And so all of this has, uh, has, has just gone you know, awry. The temple is a mess. And Josiah, for some reason, has a desire to begin to make the temple right again. So Josiah's going to fix that. Offerings have been collected. It's now time to do the work. He tells Shaphan, here's how I want you to do it. Just pay the guys. Get the work done. And then, um, and then watch what happens next. So Shaphan goes. He delivers the message. Gives the king's instructions. While he's there, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan who read it. So as he's talking to Hilkiah about these repairs, you know, as they're they're digging things out in the temple and and trying to figure out what went on there, the high priest, he finds this book. This book that they call the book of the law. Well, what's the book of the law? Well, it was either a a, a set of Moses' five books, the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Maybe it was a set of those five books that he found. And this just shows you how bad things had gotten in Israel. You know, like even in the temple, they're not reading the Bible anymore, right? They've just kind of fallen away from it. Or it could be that it was just the book of Deuteronomy. See, see namely in the book of Deuteronomy, and I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail here, but Moses had, had given the book of Deuteronomy specifically for situations like this. See, the book of Deuteronomy was written because Moses, before the Israelites went into the promised land, he said, hey, guys, you're about to go into this promised land, and it's going to be difficult for you. You're going to be living in a world where, where people don't believe the way you do. And culturally, they don't do the things that you do. And if you don't learn to trust me and and to listen to my instructions, as you go and live in this land, then you're going to be overcome. You're going to get sucked into what the people who are living around you are doing. And they're doing some bad stuff. God warned them through Moses. He said, it's going to be a downward spiral for you if you're not careful. So so here's what you have to do. You You have to worship and trust only me. And you have to listen to my instructions. Otherwise, you're going to get sucked in. You're going to start committing atrocities against each other. All these acts of injustice. Your nation's going to fall apart. Society's going to fall apart. Families are going to fall apart. It's going to be terrible. And you're going to be filled with regret and despair. God had predicted all of that. And through Moses, the people were instructed um, to, uh, to follow these commands. But you can tell how well they've listened to these commands. Because here they are. The, you know, the book is lost in the temple. The temple's a mess. Things are not going very well. Even as I talked last week, uh, the Israelites have abandoned worship of the true God and they've started sacrificing their children to false gods. That's how bad things have gotten. So um, this is a very important find, whether it's all five books of Moses or whether it's just the last book. It's a very important find. Watch what happens next. 
Then Shaphan, the secretary, he reads the book. Then he goes to the king and he reports to him. And he says, okay, hey, I gave the instruction. Your officials have paid out the money to the temple. They're starting their work. Yep, they're, they're entrusting it to the workers. They're, we're going to start getting this temple thing. But he goes on and he says in the next verse, he says, when I was there talking to Hilkiah, he gave me a book. And then Shaphan opens the book and he starts reading from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. So whatever he heard filled him with such distress. And this is a cultural thing um, that when you're, when, you're, when you're distressed, when you're in grief, when you're repentant, you tear your robes, literally. You rend your clothing to say things aren't right. Something has to change. And then he goes on. And the king gave orders to Hilkiah the priest and some of these other guys. We're going to skip over their names. I technically can read those names in case you're wondering. I just don't want to show off. Um, and he gives these guys and he says, here's what I want you to do now. What I just heard has disturbed me. I'm in mourning. I'm in repentance. So I send, I send this entourage of guys to go and inquire of the Lord for me. They're going to go talk to this prophetess by the name of Huldah. Uh, inquire of the Lord for me and the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. In other words, he's saying, you need to go find out what I'm supposed to do now because what I just heard disturbs me. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. And they have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So you get in the picture, Israel's this nation that has neglected the regular reading of, of God's instruction. They've forgotten God and they've forgotten his commandments. And they're in a world of hurt because of it. But, but, I, but I love Josiah's response as he's brought back to that truth. And he's reminded of what God told him to do. And, and he's looking around at his nation. And I mean, this happens to us in life sometimes, right? We look around at our lives and we look at our circumstances and we think, what's going on here? Why is everything such a mess? Why, why is there so much pain in my life? Why am I bringing pain to other people? I don't understand what's happening here. And sometimes it's, it's really through no fault of your own. But, but sometimes, you know, you can open up the Word of God and, 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 and you're taught and, and all of a sudden you get to see what's going on. See, that's what happens to Josiah. He looks around at his nation and he's the leader of this people and it's not going well. And he hears these words and he's immediately cut to the heart. See, I love this. Because it reminds us of, of a really important insight that I think we often miss. I think this is part of the reason that we don't dive into the scriptures like we should. Because we assume that the only reason to know the Bible is so that you can get 100% on Bible quizzes. Right? And I mean, few of us are taking Bible quizzes every day, so who cares? Or, you know, I just go to church, I'll let the pastor tell me about the Bible, and, and that's good enough, right? See, see I love that, that Josiah gets it instantaneously, as he hears, hears the word of God, he understands what, what it's about. It's not about learning facts. Ultimately, it's about two things. It's about knowing God and knowing his desires for us. Knowing God and knowing his desires for us. Now, I want you to be clear on what I mean by knowing. Often in other languages, there are two different words for knowing. Because we, in English especially, get this confused all the time. When I talk about knowing God, I'm not talking about just knowing facts about God, the way you know a math equation or know directions to someone's house or know a recipe. See, it's a different kind of knowing. The kind of knowing I'm talking about is, is a deep personal knowledge, an intimacy, a connection with God. That's the point of the scriptures. 
that you would know God personally, that you would know his character, that you would see his track record throughout time, and that you, you, would, you would begin to, to grow closer to him in a relationship, and that ultimately to know God's desires for us, to know what he wants for us. See, I think a lot of us read the Bible and we just see it as a bunch of demands, a bunch of things that God wants us to do for his sake. And that's not the case. See, the scriptures are there not only to help us understand who God is and to grow closer to him, but to understand what God's desires, what his heart is for us, what his dreams are for us. See, again, Josiah, he's looking around at his nation and he goes, man, this, this can't be it. This can't be all that God wants for us as a people. And he hears the word of God read, and suddenly a light goes on, and he goes, okay, I get it. This isn't what God wants for us. He gets a glimpse into God's heart, who God is, and, and also his heart for his people. And he says, guys, we are, we are way off base here. He says, we've got to do something about this, because God is angry. Now, I feel like I need to talk about that for a minute, too. Because again, I, I, this is, I think this is where so many people get it wrong. So many Christians, so many preachers get it wrong. You know, this is the fire and brimstone stuff. Talk about the anger of God. You know, if you don't study your Bible, God's angry with you. If you don't do what God says, if you don't obey, he's angry with you. Let's talk about God's anger. God's anger is not about self-importance. And it's not about respect the way we think of respect. See, when you don't listen to God, when, when you fail to consult God, he's not offended like, I can't believe you didn't ask me. You know, I'm so offended. I can't believe you disrespected me. That's not God. He doesn't have that kind of ego problem. See, God's anger is more like a parental anger. Parents, you know what parental anger is, right? Kids, you know what parental anger is, right? Uh, and I'm not talking about the parental anger that we all have as parents when we're frustrated, we're just tired, you know, our kids are nagging us and we snap at them. That's not the anger I'm talking about. We all do that too. The kind of parental anger I'm talking about is the kind of anger that you feel as a parent when, when you're walking with your kid on a sidewalk and they let go of your hand and they dart out into traffic after you told them not to. Or the anger I'm talking about is the kind of anger you feel when, you, when your kid comes home after hanging out with friends, teenager comes home, and, uh, and you find out that the person who drove them home was driving drunk. Or it's the kind of anger that you feel when, when your son or your daughter starts dating someone or maybe marries someone who is, who is not a person of goodwill, who does not have good intentions for them, and you know it. Right? You know that kind of anger. It's not an anger that's about you. It's not about you being offended. It's not about you being honored. It has nothing to do with you. It, it has everything to do with the love that you feel for your child and for their well-being, right? See, see, the kind of anger that God feels, the kind of anger that Josiah senses, is not an anger of like, I can't believe you didn't listen to me. I'm so offended. How dare you? The kind of anger that God feels is an anger that, where he looks out at, at the existence that his people are living. And he says, this is not what I want for you. This is not what I created you for. This is not what I rescued you for. I want more for you than this. The kind of anger that God feels is the anger that, 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 that we feel as parents when we watch our kids hurting each other. I mean, there's nothing more hurtful than watching your kid inflict hurt on, on, an, on, on another kid in your family or another kid. You just go, no, 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 that's, that's not right. That's not what I want for you. See, that's the kind of anger that God feels. We have to be very, very careful when it comes to God's anger not to turn him into some jilted lover 
or some overattached parent here. God is not retaliatory. He is not jealous. He is not petty. That's not what he's about. See, his anger is driven by a deep fatherly love. That's what motivates him. And it's out of a deep fatherly love that he speaks to us in Scripture. See, this is what I think we fail to understand. I think this is why it's so easy. You know, like, like Josiah, we've got Bibles in our houses that are never opened. And I think this is the reason why we don't understand the heart with which God speaks to us. And so, and so here's the reality. There's this trend in our day amongst Christians and among churches to just downplay the importance of Scripture. To feel like it's irrelevant, to not to honor it, to, to abandon it, or at least to ignore the hard parts of it. And I know that, that there are some of you who, you know, as we become more relevant as a church and we try to speak to our culture, this is your concern. Are, are we going to become less rooted in Scripture? No way. Because you see, in the Scripture, that's our power. And we're working way too hard to do this without our source of power firmly intact. And the same is true for you. See, you can live a good life. You can live a moral life. You can try to do good things in the world. But, but if you're not plugged into the power of God's word, then ultimately it's empty. See, now I know that there's stuff in Scripture that's hard to understand. And uh, that's why, you know, they, they made me take classes at seminary about interpretation because you have to get to context and understand the world that these words were written into and then you have to apply those words to the context that we're living in now and none of us can do this well. And so I get that there's some hard stuff in Scripture, but that's exactly the point. If we ever get to the point where we just ignore the hard stuff rather than contending with the hard stuff, wrestling with the hard stuff, then inevitably we're lost. We're lost as people. We're lost as families. We're lost as a society. See, again, Josiah was finding this out. He's looking around at his nation, and this took hundreds of years to happen, but things are an absolute mess. And I know that in your life you're discovering this too. That if you follow your heart, if you follow your own wisdom, if you follow the advice of people around you, ultimately you will end up in a bad, bad place. And not only will you bring pain into your life, you will bring pain into other people's lives. Pain will come to others through you. See, to ignore the scriptures, to avoid them, is to ignore the heart of God. A God who loves you. It's, it's, it's to ignore God's great desires for you. It's to settle for so much less than what God wants for you. And ultimately, I, I think this is so important for us, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, but lastly, not only do we know the scriptures for these reasons, but, but if you fail to take seriously the scriptures in your life, if you, if you fail to be biblically sound, th then you'll never be able to trust God for everything you need. See, the scriptures will teach you to know God, to know his desires, but then to trust him for everything we need. And do you know what happens in life when we fail to trust God for everything that we need? We start looking other places. And those other places are seldom good. You know, if you've got a felt need in your life today, if, if, if uh, you know, let's just talk about hunger. I don't think many of us are hungry, but, but maybe you come in here today hungry. You don't have the, the, the financial means to provide food for yourself or for your family. Or, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, there's a bill, a utility bill sitting on your table and you don't know how you're going to pay it. See, in that need, you could be driven to do a number of things. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them absolutely disastrous. But, but if you are rooted in the word of God, here's what will happen. You will know God and you will know that God reveals himself as a provider. 
And you will know that God's desire for you is that you would lack for no good thing. But ultimately, you know what will happen if you're rooted in Scripture? You will learn to trust God for that need in your life. You'll trust God to be a provider for you. See, so often in life, as things go on, we, you know, we can get confused about who God is and we experience different tension and we can start to, start to, you know, like, God, are you not who I think you are? The scriptures are there to keep us rooted in who God is, what his desires for, are for us so that we can trust him. Maybe, maybe some of you are lonely because you don't have a companion in life or worse. Maybe some of you today are lonely and you're in a marriage, you're in a family and you're lonely. I think there are a few Feelings that are more lonely than being surrounded by people, being in relationships, even being in a marriage, and feeling alone. It's, it's awful. And again, so what do you do with that need? You can do all kinds of things with that need that are, that are detrimental. But ultimately, if you're rooted in the Scripture, then what do you know about God? You know that, that God is, is a friend to the friendless, and that He's been a friend to people throughout the ages. And you know that His desire for you is not to be alone and abandoned but to be relationally full and that, and that he can give that to you. Right? There's a psalm that says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. And I love that psalm, just, just you know, one, one verse. The Lord confides in those who fear him. Because I think about, oh yeah, I can confide in God. I can tell him my problems. I tell him my struggles. I tell him my sins. I, I love the way that psalm reverses it and says, hey, when you trust, when you fear God, when you love him, he will confide in you. I mean, gosh, talk about intimacy. See, God wants to provide for what you need. If you come here today in trouble, in need of rescue, there's something broken in your life, something wrong in your life, you need help. That can drive you to do all kinds of things that could be destructive for you. But if you know that God is a rescuer, that God has been rescuing people throughout the ages, that God ultimately sent his son into the world and, and he traded Jesus' life for yours. He put Jesus into captivity so you could have freedom. When you know that, it will enable you to trust God for everything you need. See, do you see what's at stake when we as a people, when we abandon the scriptures? Now, actually, I, I don't want to go at it that way. Here's what I want to say. Do, do you see what we have to gain when we are people who stay rooted in the scripture? When that happens, we get to know God. We, we get to trust him. We, we get these hearts of faith that, that hold on to who God is and what his character is, regardless of what we're experiencing. We, we get to realize what God really wants for us, and we'll stop settling for the junk of life that we are settling for today. And ultimately, our trust will just skyrocket as we begin to see that God will take care of everything that we need. See, today I want to call you to action. And the action is simple. I want to call you to become people who are biblically sound. We talk about this in a specific way here. We talk about one one fifteen six. We say there are four things that you can do to help move you along on your life journey. There are lots of other good things you can do, but if you focus on these four things, you will keep moving. You will grow closer to God. You will experience more of his fullness in your life. Not to say it's going to all be easy, but you will experience more fullness. You'll make a bigger impact on the world around you. And today I just want to highlight this one. Spend 15 minutes each day in a faith-building discipline. We believe that if you do that, you spend 15 minutes a day, and at least part of that time should be in God's Word. We even write a Growing Deeper for you. We can send it to you by email. If you're not on our list, you can get on that list. It's, it's a message study. It's based on what we're talking about today, and it'll take you in the Scriptures every day. We should say five days of the week. We give you one day break to do something else. But we just know if you do that, it will change your life. 
Or if you open up that YouVersion app that you use here on Sunday mornings, if you open that up on Monday, you'll discover there are Bible reading plans in there. And you can sign up and it'll send you notifications reminding you to, to read and, and you can read through the whole Bible or the whole New Testament or whatever you want to do. But again, it will change your life. It's not going to make you smarter. I mean, it may. But ultimately, it will change your life because you'll begin to know God and you'll know his desires for you and you'll begin to trust him for everything you really need in life. See, today, I, I'm just calling you to action because not because this is a smart thing, not because it's the good Christian thing to do, um, but because this is a life-changing thing for you. It's true with Josiah. You know, Josiah, he's neglected the word, and he hears the word of God, and, and, uh, and, uh, and he's cut to the heart by it. And he says, something has to change. And so they go seek this, this prophetess, and she gives him a word, and she says, Josiah, God isn't mad at you. Your response, Josiah, was perfect. You tore your robes. You cried out in agony. You said, man, God, God wants more for us than this. We're settling. You're in distress about this. You're heartbroken about this. Josiah, that's exactly what God wants from you. And now God, he forgives you. He forgives you. And he wants to favor you. And Josiah hears that. And I want to show you what he does next. Um, he hears this word, and, and this is what he does next. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart. I love this. So Josiah gathers the people, all of the people in his kingdom together in the temple. And he reads to them himself these words from scripture. And he says, guys, this is what we've been missing. This is why we're suffering. This is why we're struggling. This is why you know, we've forgotten who our God is. We, we've, we've, just, we've just abandoned him. And we've forgotten what his desires are for us, and we failed to trust him. And there in front of everybody, the king of, of, of Judah, Josiah, he stands up and he says, I pledge myself to do better. I pledge myself to the one true God to follow his decrees and all of his statutes. Today, right now, I want to give you a moment, just in the quiet of your own heart, to do the same. This could be a new beginning for you. Maybe this is something you've tried a million times and it's never stuck. Or maybe you've never tried it because you've never had a desire. Today can be the day where just in the quiet of your heart, you say to God, God, I want to know you. I want to know your desires. I want to trust you. Please help me. In fact, I want to give you a moment. Should you choose to do this, to do it right now before the moment escapes you. Take a second and cry out to God just quietly on your own.
See, Josiah went first, and I want to show you what happened after that. So he makes this promise before all of the people to keep the statutes, the decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And then take a look at this. Then all the people pledge themselves to the covenant as well. See, if, if you are biblically sound, it will make a huge difference in your life. But not only that, the way you really make a splash, the way you make an impact is to do what Josiah did. See, maybe today's message is even about you. Maybe you're someone who is regularly in the Word and you're just kind of like, yeah, you tell them, Dion, tell them, not me, because I got this. And maybe for you, you need to do what Josiah did. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about helping someone else in your life become more biblically sound. Maybe it's, maybe it's with the people sitting next to you today and you all struggle with this, saying, hey, let's do this together. There's a, a person who's new to the faith in our church and they are just being overcome by all that they are, are learning about God and as they discover who God is and what he wants for them, it's changing their life. And, and here's what they said. They said, this, this is too amazing for me. I don't want to do this just for me. And so they got a group of friends together who also don't know who God is or what his desires are for them. And they're starting a small group called Starting Point. We have the curriculum here. And, uh, and they're starting this group and, and they're helping other people to get this. They're helping make a big splash in the life of others by helping people discover who God is and what his desires are for them. See, maybe that's what you need to do, not only to help yourself, but to help others, to make a huge impact. There are a million ways you can do this, but, but here's the point. Your pursuit of God in Scripture, it does not have to make you frustrated and confused. And it certainly doesn't have to make you puffed up and arrogant. It can make you gracious and wise. Not only you, but the people you love most and live life around. Let's pray for that. Father.